Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Well, we are now in our core four series, Mission Control, where we are going through our, our vision and our mission statement as a church, and we're preaching on our mission statement step by step. But before I get into that and explain to you where we're gonna go this morning, let's take a moment to kind of do a quick review of our vision statement and then our mission statement together. So let me put the vision statement up, ready? Springs Church exists to ignite a what? Ooh, that wasn't good. A what? Thank you. For who? Ooh, that is so important. It's not a passion just for Bible study. It's not a passion just for community groups. It's not a passion even just for evangelism. It is a passion for Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen? And to equip believers for his mission in Colorado Springs and the world. So that's our vision statement. Now, how are we going to be able to accomplish that? And what can you expect in this house? What will happen here that will be a part of that vision statement? That's our mission statement. Let me put that up on the screen. You ready? Our mission statement is at Springs Church, we desire to be an authentic community of worshipers. Now, let me speak to that just briefly before I go where I want to go this morning. We want to be an authentic community of worshipers. You know, when I sit down with people, especially those that don't go to church or I have dinner with them and I tell them what I do, what God has called me to in my life, they always look at me and say, you can't be a pastor. I say, no, I really am. They say, there's no way. I said, no, really, I am a pastor. And I have to kind of convince them through the process. And I remember there was a time Beth and I we were traveling and we were preaching at a church in Florida. And I'll never forget it. I, I was sitting with her and I was so excited to be at this church, a close friend of mine, and he invited me. And, and we were sitting, and as we were sitting there together and I was getting ready to go up, the, the main pastor, the senior pastor got up and this is what he said, uh, no joke. He said, uh, Pastor Michael's coming from Springs Church in Colorado. We're so excited. And then he said this, as if he had to give this warning. He said, just to warn everybody, he's different. <laughs> and I looked at Beth, and I'm not kidding. Insecurity actually hit me at that moment. Like, it wasn't even a funny thing. I looked at Beth. I said, what is he talking about? I was, and I, I said, I'm not joking. I said, I, said, I wore the nice clothes. I, I put the button on everything everybody wants. There's no tattoos showing. There's nothing. I am in the, what is going on? So I got up and I was so insecure and I finally got up and with just this boldness in my heart, I said, you know what? I am different. I love skateboards. I love dirt bikes. I love doing wheelies and all, but I'll tell you what, I love Jesus and he saved my life and I'm going to be proclaiming his goodness for my rest of my time on this earth and then for all of eternity. <laughs> See, listen, listen to me. I want you to get this. I want to be normal and anointed together. Amen? I ain't looking to be super spiritual. I ain't looking to impress you. I'm not looking to play around with sin. I have certain qualifications in my life, especially as an elder and a pastor that I have to meet, and qualifications you meet as brothers and sisters in the Lord. But listen to me. I'm not trying to fake something. I am who I am, and I'm anointed. You are who you are, and you are anointed. Praise God for that. We are who we are. Amen? So, okay, we're an authentic community of worships, worshipers who are passionate about, and here are the four core, okay? These are the four things you're going to experience here at Springs Church. If you're going to be a member, and many of you who've been here already know this. Number one, 
We're gonna be serious and passionate about understanding scripture, okay? Number two, we are gonna practice prayer individually and corporately. You're gonna learn how to pray in this house, amen? Number three, we're gonna experience community. We wanna be a part of community and we're gonna urge you to be in community groups. Let me just say this, I'm saying a lot, I'm not even in my sermon, but just hear me out. I talked to Beth this week and we got three little guys now. Daly is our third, she's gonna be three years old coming up this year. And man, I'm telling you, when you add one to the two and you get three, things change in the house. Two was bearable. Two was like, this is a breeze. We put three into the mix. We are in chaos all day long. Literally, I, our freezer just started dripping through the ice tray out of nowhere last night and there's just a flood in our house. We're so tired, we're not even cleaning it up anymore. We're just going around the puddle, say we'll deal with that on Monday, right? It, when you got three, it, it's crazy. And Beth and I used to get all this time where when we had two or one, we could have dinner with people. You know, we were having dinner with people at the church that we love, we love doing this. Four, sometimes five times a week, we were like every single night hanging out with somebody and it was awesome. But let me just say this, I can't do that anymore. Beth and I can't do that with our young family the way that we used to. They need so much of our attention. So I probably am not gonna get a chance to hang out with everybody in this house. But do you know what we have to experience that community? We have community groups. We have some of the most incredible leaders. If you're a leader at a community group, lift your hand. I wanna take a second just to do this. These leaders, man, they are amazing. They are prayer warriors. They have a gift of pastoring. They love people. Listen, and this is where community is gonna thrive in this house. So you might not get connected with me, to be 100% honest, but that doesn't mean that you don't get connected. You gotta be a part of this because life happens in community. That's next week, we'll get to that next week. And then the next one, ready? Not only are we gonna experience community, we're gonna develop calling in this house. We wanna find out what God has called you to be and to do, and we wanna call it out of you. And let me tell you, 90% of the callings that are in this house belong outside those four doors, not inside these four doors. Okay, some of you are called to, call, to lead prayer meetings in your business or at work. Some of you are called to, to start new ministries out in the world. Some of you are called to start Bible studies. Listen, not everything happens in these doors, but outside those doors. And there's things in here as well. But we wanna release you into that, we wanna call you into that, and we wanna see God move in your life, amen? All right, so guess which one I get to preach on today? Understanding scripture. So, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read my text this morning, then we're gonna pray, and by God's miraculous grace, we're gonna to try to get through this word, amen? All right, John chapter eight, verse 31 through 36. This will be my text this morning. And we're gonna talk about why understanding scripture is so important in this house. In fact, before I even do that, let me do this, because I didn't get to do it. Let me just read to you what we wrote about this subject of understanding scriptures as elders. Let me put it up on the screen. Can you put it up on the screen? Ready for this? This is what we wrote. Through scripture, God sets us free from sin. He gives us hope and joy. He offers us examples of God's faithfulness, changes us to be more like Christ, empowers us to overcome spiritual strongholds, and provides us with the source of all truth and comfort. Most importantly, through the Bible, the Bible reveals Jesus to us. Amen? And then we wrote this. I want you to see this. Scripture is so valuable that we look to it as our definitive guide to life in this world and the next. 
we study the Bible, we base our lives on it and its eternal truths. We want to raise our children to know, understand, and love God's Word. We employ it in all of our activities and grow old resting in its eternal assurances. That's not my spelling mistake. That's their spelling mistake. I got my own, but we're going to get to those later. Amen? Amen. I'm just kidding, projecting this. We love you guys. I'm just joking. Please, please, don't be shamed or condemned. All right. All right, now, John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. This is where we'll begin today. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Father, I pray a blessing over this word. I pray an anointing that you would take the little bit of the breadcrumbs that I have prepared and you would multiply it into a feeding today. I pray that you would convict what needs to be convicted. You would encourage what needs to be encouraged. You would strengthen people's spirits. But more importantly than anything else, I pray, God, that you would invade our humanity through the work of the Holy Ghost and you would stir up a deeper hunger for the Word. I don't care if there's people in here that read it every day. They read through the Bible once. God, let it even grow for them. Let it grow in all of us. God, I pray that we be people of the Word. Lord, we give it to you now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. This is a very famous passage of Scripture that most Christians love to quote. And and since it's in red letters, we, we take what Jesus is saying and we make it absolute fact without actually thinking about what Jesus is saying. Jesus, in a strange way, is kind of contradicting himself in these few verses. And he's contradicting himself for a reason. He's contradicting himself to show us something that goes against how our natural minds and how the world actually thinks. So let me do this. Let me read that scripture back to you. But this time, I want to highlight two specific words. I'll put the words on the screen in verse 31 and 32. I want to highlight the if and the then. Watch this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then watch this. Then he says, then, so then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now watch this because verse 22 says that you can be free. Jesus says that in him, you can be free. But then verse 31 comes back and says, if and only if, you hold to Jesus' teachings. Now that word hold to in the original Greek means to live with, to embrace, to obey. Hold to is a very strong phrase. To hold to, to embrace, to obey Christ's teachings, listen to this, means that you have to give up your freedoms. You have to give up your personal choice of what you want to do and how you want to live. So listen to how weird this is because Jesus is literally saying, you can be free if you receive and you accept my constraints. In other words, Jesus is saying, real freedom happens 
when you are no longer free. What? I mean, it's confusing. And we think to ourselves, why in the world would Jesus contradict himself like that and make absolutely no sense? And this is so important. Jesus is contradicting himself. Are you ready? Because he is showing us that our little human minds make freedom and what freedom is way too simplistic. But before we can begin to even talk about, and this is important, the complexities of freedom, we have to take a moment and we have to actually define what freedom is. So what does it mean to be free? What does it mean when Jesus says, you'll know the truth and you will be set free? What is freedom? Let me put up on the screen what I wrote in my journal this last week. As I'm studying and putting it down, I'm trying to put it in normal language so we can all understand how Christ and how God sees freedom. Freedom happens, listen to this, and is experienced when all your capacities are firing on all cylinders. Freedom is joy. It's a sense of you being and doing what you were made to do and be. It is you living and walking in the environment and the atmosphere of what makes you most alive. Freedom is like a fish washed up on the shore, struggling to breathe, being put back in the water where it belongs. The fish is free. The fish is where it was made to be. The fish can breathe freely again. This is the real definition of freedom. Now, I know it's in my own words, but this is what Christ is actually talking about. This is the freedom that every human being was created to experience. This is the freedom that everyone wants. But the world and society around us tell us that the definition of freedom is much more simplistic than that. The world and the society around us tells us that freedom means just getting rid of all the obstacles, getting rid of all the hindrances that are holding you back from being able to achieve what you desire, that are holding you back from getting what you want. But again, that definition is way too simplistic when it comes to reality. And that's why Jesus' teaching on freedom sounds so complex and it sounds so contradicting because Jesus is dealing with how the human heart actually works. For example, freedom cannot just mean getting rid of every hindrance so that you could get what you want. Why? Because in every one of your hearts, you have different desires and different wants. And many of those desires, and this is important, contradict each other. You are more complex than you realize. For example, let me show you. I love Diet Coke. I love it. I want to drink it by the gallons every single day. In fact, it's so bad that I keep a Diet Coke on my nightstand and guess my body wakes up literally shivering from withdrawal and I need to take another sip. I want to drink as much Diet Coke as I possibly can every chance that I could get. And yet, at the exact same time, I have another one of these weird desires in my heart and this desire wants to live. <laughs> this desire wants to see my kids graduate from college. Two conflicting desires that live in my heart at the exact same time. When I was in my 20s, I wanted to get married. Oh my gosh, did I need to get married. Every, I'm praying in a wife. Half my prayer time, actually beyond 95% of my prayer, was just me getting my spouse. 
and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. But at the exact same time, a wine to be married, I still wanted to hang out with my friends. I still wanted to travel around the world. I still wanted to have my alone time when I wanted it. Two conflicting desires that were living in my heart at the exact same time. When I was in college, I wanted to be a photographer. I, I wanted a career as an artist. I wanted to meet other people in the creative field. I wanted to be a freelancer so I didn't have any set schedules, so I didn't have to get up like the rest of the losers in the morning and go to work, right? <laughs> this was a desire inside of my heart, and yet there was another one of these really weird and strange desires all at the same time, and this desire wanted to eat. This desire wanted money to be able to pay bills. This desire wanted to not end up on the street homeless. See, for every desire that you have, for every dream that you want to accomplish, I guarantee you that you have at least one, if not multiple competing desires living inside of you at the exact same time. And it's not as simple as just saying, well, I just got to get rid of the hindrances to ultimately get what I want because you don't even know what you want. I deal with this every time I do some type of member care or marriage counseling, and, and I come to this conclusion when, when people are getting married or when people have been married for a while, everyone wants to get married because they don't want to live alone. But at the exact same time, after they get married, they want to keep living as if they were single. And you know and I know it doesn't work, right? You can't get one desire without denying another. Do you see that? Do you understand that? It's so imperative for you to begin to grasp that, right? You can't get the one thing that begins to make your heart really come alive, makes you really begin to be free without being willing to die to something else. And that's how freedom actually works. That's what Jesus is trying to say in John chapter 8. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, in all reality, your heart cannot be fully alive. You cannot fire on all cylinders unless you're willing to deny certain desires to be able to get those desires. There are just some wants that we have to let go, some wants that we have to suppress to get what our heart ultimately wants. In fact, look back at John chapter 8, and let me read this to you one more time. I want you to see it. Verse 31 through 36. And he says this, to the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, ready? You say, right? They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have been slaves of, of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a, sin, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now watch this, because this is so amazing. Jesus actually says in verse 34, and I want you to get this, anyone who sins is a slave. In other words, everyone who sins is not free. So what Jesus is ultimately saying, and I'll put it up on the screen, because you got to get this, and I want you to see it. Jesus is actually saying that sin is the enemy to freedom. Sin is the enemy of what makes you most alive. Sin is the enemy that is holding you back from being able to fire on all cylinders. And the question that we have to start to ask ourselves so we can really grasp what Jesus is really saying is, what is it 
this thing that makes us come alive? What is it that actually makes us free that sin always destroys? What is freedom? You told us it's coming alive. You told us it's firing on all the cylinders, but, but where does that actually come from? And I'll put it up on the screen so you can see it. True freedom, and I want you to get this, always comes from one place. It comes from the place of love. Love is freedom. Love. Now hold on to that for a second because we're going to get into that a little bit more. But before we do, I want you to look at what the Pharisees said to Jesus in verse 33. They said, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. Now that wasn't completely true because literally as they're saying it, they are literally occupied by Rome. They are in captivity by Rome. Right? They, they've been slaves by everyone, let alone anyone. But they say, we've never been slaves. So I want you to notice how the Jews actually thought about freedom, because this is really important. They thought that the enemy to their freedom was outside, which is what most people believe today. People in our society, they say that the enemy to your freedom is some type of force or some type of person that is holding an individual back in our world or in our social circles. That's what they say, the modern mind today says that there are people out there that just desire to be free. They desire to express their true self, but there are people and things out there that are keeping them back from what they really want. Now, are there unjust oppressive forces in the world today? Yes, there's racism. There's slavery, there's sex trafficking, there's abortion. There's all types of oppressive forces. But Jesus says the ultimate enemy to your freedom is not what's outside, but the ultimate enemy to your freedom is what's inside. It's actually sin. He says it's sin. Why is sin an enemy to our freedom? Why is it such a big deal? Well, again, I'll put it up on the screen and I want you to get this. Sin's an enemy to our freedom because sin goes against how God designed us to be. When you read through the Ten Commandments or you read through the Sermon on the Mount, or you read through the Golden Rule, love your neighbor as yourself, you read through these things, um, these aren't just commands that God was giving so that we would have some type of busy work. God's not up in heaven thinking, man, these humans are just so lazy. I better put a list together so they, they could fill out their day. Like That's not what's happening. When God gives us those commands, when he gives us those teachings, and this is so imperative, you gotta get this. He's not just giving it to us as God. He's giving it to us as our creator. Which means the law, the 10 commandments, the golden rule, the Sermon on the Mount, really, I want you to get this, is our owner's manual of how our minds and our hearts, our emotions and our spirits are supposed to work, how they are supposed to function. So when God says, don't lie, don't commit adultery, you have to forgive, and you don't do it, you begin violating your own soul. You begin violating your own nature. You move against yourself. You destroy yourself and you always lose a measure of freedom when that begins to happen. The Bible says you have to forgive. And I have people come up to me, why, why do I have to forgive? 
Is it just because God is just this angry God in heaven that just likes to tell us what we're supposed to do? No. You have to forgive because you've been created in the image of a God who is a forgiver. Forgiveness isn't something that God does. Forgiveness is who God is. And you were created in his image, which means it is who you are too. Which means when you get hurt by someone and you choose not to forgive and you hold on to bitterness, now you are going against your own design. Now you are going against how you were actually created. Does that make sense? Do you see it? Yeah, for a little while, the bitterness will set in and it'll feel good. It'll feel good. But over time, your body and your physical well-being will begin to be hurt by your anger. Your relationships with other people will begin to be hurt by your anger. Your trust of other people will begin to be hurt by your anger. You end up destroying yourself. Let me put this up on the screen, and I want you to see it. When you sin, you're not just hurting God. You're hurting yourself. You're moving against yourself. Are you tracking with me so far? Because you got to follow me here. This sermon's going to go in a few different little rabbit trails and then come back to the main point. But I want to take it even a step further because sin at its core, and you need to understand this, sin at its core is actually selfishness. Sin is unloving because it's selfish. And you were created in the image of a God who is love, who is selfless. Which means you were created, hear this, to experience love and to love. That's how real freedom begins to come into your life. That's when you start firing on all cylinders. Think about it just for a second. When, and this is important, when in your life have you ever felt most free? When have you felt most alive? When have you felt like everything inside of you was firing on all cylinders? When did you ever feel real joy, real peace? When did you ever feel like you were right in that moment doing what you were supposed to do, what you were created for? It's when you have love, when you're experiencing love, and when you're loving someone back. It's when you are in love. Love is freedom, and sin destroys love because it's selfish. It's selfish and it destroys your freedom. It destroys what you were created for. I wrote this down, listen to this. Love is freedom because love is what you were created in the image of. Because you were created in the image of God who is love. Okay, so watch this. Jesus comes out in John chapter 8, and he's explaining what it is to be free. And he's explaining to us through his contradictions, or what seems like contradictions, the complexity of freedom. It's not as simple as just getting rid of every obstacle and going after what you want, because you yourself in your heart have competing desires. That's just the reality. So he comes back and he shows us the desires that give us the freedom, that make us most alive. And those are desires or love to live in a place of receiving love, to live in a place of giving love. And he comes out through John chapter eight and explains to us the thing that destroys that is sin. 
He says, when you live in sin, when you don't forgive, when you hold on to something, when you're not following the user's manual of how God designed you to be, you are now not walking in love. And when you are not walking in love, your heart is not alive anymore. Not the way that God actually designed it. So with all of that, and now we're up to speed, I want to take you to John chapter 14, verse 15, and I want you to see this. Look what Jesus says, because this is so pivotal. He says, if you love me, in other words, if you're free, you will keep my commandments. One of the ways that you know you're actually walking in true freedom, one of the ways you know whether or not you are experiencing what you were designed to experience, which is to know God and to love him back, is if you're actually following his commandments. Now, this is where things begin to fall apart because there's so many Christians in the church today who want to experience real freedom. They want to experience real love. They want to know God's love and they want to love him back. Every honest Christian knows deep in their heart that real freedom happens when God reveals his love to you and you, in response to that love, grow in greater measures of trust and obedience to him. It's that relationship of experiencing his love, but that's not where it ends, where it transforms and then we love him back. It's that relationship that brings real freedom in our lives. It's that relationship that causes everything to fire on all cylinders again. But like I said, that's actually where our freedom begins to fall apart. Why? Why? All right, get this. Because no matter how much we read or we study about the love of God, no matter how many times we come in on Sunday mornings and we experience God's presence, our hearts will not trust God fully. We will not trust him. And because we will not trust him fully, we cannot love him fully, and we cannot obey him fully. Do I need to repeat that? Because it's so imperative for you to hear. No matter how much we read and study, you know your own walks with God. You learn about God's love. You come in and experience his presence. No matter what it is, our hearts, for some reason, will not fully trust. There's one area in our hearts or a few areas in our hearts that we hold to and say, I'm not giving that to the Lord. I'm not giving my destiny or my future or my control. I'm not giving my shame or my guilt. I'm not giving my fear. I'm not giving my example. I'm holding on to these things. We will not fully trust him. And because we don't fully trust him, we can't fully love him. And because we don't fully love him, we can't fully obey him, which means our lives are not really firing on all cylinders, which means we're not walking in real freedom. There are so many Christians in the church today that are worshiping God with chains on. They have chains on their wrists. They have chains on their legs. They're chained to something. They are not free. <sighs> then what do we do? And I, I find that there's, there's two main responses to this. When people find out I'm not really free, and there's two roads that the, the church always takes. We decide to go back to the word of God and we begin to study, meditate, and just focus on God's holiness, thinking that the holiness of God will appear, appear, appeal to our fear of God and that will finally get us to trust him. And it never works. You ever sit under that type of preaching? Did you guys sin today? Every one of you going to hell. You know, God's holy, you can't mess with God. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong in and of itself, but it doesn't create more trust. So then what do we do? Well, we swing the pendulum to the other side. That didn't work. So now we have a, no, a whole nother crop, a whole nother generation that now says all we need to focus on is the grace of God. We just focus on it. Nothing of his holiness, 
nothing of who he is, just, just his grace. And the grace of God will appeal to a love of God in our hearts. And that love for God that it appeals to will finally bring us to a place where we will trust him and we will obey. And the truth of the matter is that never works if you're being honest with yourself. This is what I wrote. I want you to see this. We use the Bible and our church fellowship as a means, this is important, to appeal to our natural powers of the mind and of our will and of our conscience to trust and obey God, but it never really works. Let me read that again. I want you to get this. This is important. We use the Bible and our church fellowship as a means to appeal to the natural powers. That's important of our mind and our will and our conscience to trust and obey God, but it never really works. And then I'll tell you what we do next. I didn't even put this in my notes, but I'll give it to you for free. What we do is we say, well, I can't really trust and fully obey God. I can't get out of this area of sin or this bondage. So you know what I'll do? I'll change his commandments. I'll change the Sermon on the Mount to mean something that it doesn't mean, and I'll bring it down to my level. And now I'm fulfilling it, but no, you're not. Well, and I hear it all the time. Well, God really didn't mean that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. No, it can't be. I mean, he doesn't mean if I just divorce and, and I don't have a scriptural reason for it and, and I don't go through the process of allowing people with accountability to come into that and counsel us through that. And there, there's no, he doesn't mean that I'm living in adultery. No, he really does. Like he does. Now there's forgiveness for that. And I'm not saying if you've done that, you should split up the next, the next marriage that you're in because the Bible says that God actually sees that marriage as a marriage. He actually calls it a marriage, but there's places of repentance and forgiveness needed, but we change the standard. We change what it really means so that now we can fulfill it because we haven't been able to find the means to trust God at the level that we need to, to fully obey him and fully love him and therefore be fully free. That's what the church does. It's called religion. And it's on both sides. It's on the holiness side and it's on the grace side. It's just as religious, just as religious. Cause they're both slaves, they're both. So what's the answer? How do we finally get free? How do we walk in freedom the way God intended us to? How does all the capacities of heart finally come alive? in our fellowship, in our walk with God. How do I really experience his love and in experience love finally get to a point where I trust him and I obey and I love him back? That's the answer. That's what we need to know. And look what Jesus says in John chapter eight because he actually gives us the answer. Isn't Jesus so good? He doesn't just leave us out there saying, well, here's your dilemma, here's your problem, good luck. He comes back and says, no, I came down here to show you how to walk this out. I came down here to show you the answer to this. And he says it in verse 34 and 35. Could I read it to you? Jesus replied, ready for this? Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave, this is important, has no permanent place in the family. Ready for this? But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Jesus is telling us that through his work, what he did on the earth and through the cross and the resurrection, you ready for this? Is he was gonna change our relationship with God. He was gonna change it. See, a slave can still stay in the house. He could be in the house, but he is not a son. 
in Christ, we have become sons and daughters of the living God. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's the difference? Because a slave could be in the house too. The difference is, and I need you to get this, is that a son and a daughter receive an inheritance. That's the key. The son and the daughter receive something from the father that is promised to them, that is given to them, that is not given to the slave. And the son and the daughter don't have to earn the inheritance. You can't earn the inheritance. It's given just through the relationship itself. Follow me here. And let me give you three scriptures that will begin to show you your inheritance that you receive as a son and daughter now that your relationship has been changed from being a slave to a son in the house of God. Let me show you three scriptures and we'll begin to dissect them together. I've shared these before, but I want to go through them and I want, I'm so excited about it and I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm excited. So I have to find the right balance here and we'll find it. Jeremiah 32, 38 through 40. You ready for this? This is what God says and I love this. They will be my people and I will be their God. Right there alone, I feel like I could praise and worship for the next hour. God says, I'm gonna be your God. In other words, I get to rule your life now. You don't have to rule it anymore. Thank God. I hate ruling my life. And I make a lot of messes out of it. He says, I'll be God. I'll do God things. I'll take care of you. Now watch where he goes on. He says, I'm gonna give them singleness of heart. Here's your inheritance. He says, this is the inheritance I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give them singleness of heart and action so they will always fear me and that all that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. So God says this, here you are and you're trying your best just through reading through the holiness to appeal to your natural will of fearing God. He says it'll never work. The only way it'll work is if you understand that that holiness leads somewhere. It leads to Christ. It leads to your inheritance in him. And his inheritance, he says, is I will literally come inside of you through my Holy Spirit. This is nuts. This is crazy. And I will cause you to fear me. You will honor me. You will honor me above your own family. You will honor me above your job. You will honor me from everything in this world that is trying to take you away. You will honor me. I will do it inside. God is saying, you can't do it. See, people don't understand that we have centuries of God trying to work with people that can never do it. And then the next generation thinks, well, I'll be the one that does it. And God says, hello? Hello, I wrote this all through history to show you. I gave the 10 commandments and it wasn't even before Moses got down from the mountain that they were already worshiping an idol. And you think you're better than them? You think, oh, I'm much more educated. I'm much more, God says it's the same. You can't do it, but I could do it inside of you. I, I came through Jesus to give you this inheritance. Then look what he says, that's not enough. It gets even crazier. Watch what he says next. They put up the slides. He says, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with them. Okay, that, that's the inheritance. He says, it's going to be this everlasting inheritance, this covenant. And I will never stop doing what? Good to them. That's nuts. Never stop. Do you know how many times the enemy has tripped me up and told me that God's going to pull his spirit away from me like he did to Saul? And God says, I'll never do it. I'll never take it away from you under this inheritance as a son and daughter. As a slave, you lose it. As a son and a daughter, it stays. And then he says this, and then I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. Do you understand what that says? Anyone ever deal with the fear of turning away from God? You ever afraid that some sin or habit is gonna get you and turn you away? You ever afraid that you'll become lukewarm? You ever afraid? 
You ever afraid when the time comes where some of us might have to be put in prison, some of us will deny him? You ever afraid that if it came to our life, we'd walk away from him? I mean, be honest. Be on, and then God comes back and says, no, 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 let me tell you, being afraid is what happens from a slave in the house. Let me tell you what a son and a daughter gets. I will come and live inside of you through my spirit. Okay, this is nuts. And then through the work of my spirit inside of you, I will cause you to fear me in such a way that you will never depart from me. God is saying that alcohol can't pull you away from me, that pornography can't pull you away from me, that area of unforgiveness can't pull you away from me. I am more powerful than all of it, and I will come to live inside of you through this inheritance as a son and a daughter, and not only will I be faithful to never turn away from you, but then I will make you be faithful to never turn away from me. Oh my gosh. All right, you didn't get enough. Let's go on to the rest of our inheritance. Ready? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant. This is the inheritance. He's changing the relationship. It's going to be new. You're not slaves anymore. You're sons and daughters with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. And look what he says. This is the covenant. This is the inheritance I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Get this? He says, he goes on. He says, I'll give them a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll remove from you your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that wording can't be right. In the Hebrew, it's got to say something else because that, that's just too good. That's too good. God's saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you and then move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He says, I'm going to give you a new fleshly heart, a fleshly heart that literally every conviction of the spirit, every move of the spirit it responds to him. He says, I'm going to take away your heart of flesh or your heart of stone. You'll still deal with the flesh, but that area of rebellion, that area of just not wanting to trust and obey God, he says, I'm going to pull that out of your heart through the work of my spirit. I'm going to write my law in your heart. I'm going to write my law in your mind. Do you understand what Jesus did for us? Do you get it? God was not satisfied with just, just being forgiveness of our sins. He said, I don't ever want to lose you again. I don't want to lose you. And you as sheep are always going astray. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the work inside of you as I do the work on my side to keep you close. People say, why do you pray so much, Pastor? Why do you get so excited? Because I get this. I remember when God revealed this to me, when God opened it up. Everybody's preaching the gospel. They're only preaching half the message to tell me God forgives you of your sins. That's great, but I got to live with my own heart. What do I do? See, in the church, we separate salvation into two compartments, and it was never meant to be that way. We can believe God for the forgiveness of our sins, but the issue is we don't believe for the work of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. We separate it. So we say, yeah, I can believe for forgiveness, but I can't believe that I can walk like that. And what God says, and this is so imperative, God says that we are never to separate what he has joined together. 
Salvation is one gift. It's the forgiveness and the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. It's both. And God says, you can't just believe for one part. You gotta believe for the whole package. I mean, so many people say, well, I know I'm forgiven, I know, but they can't overcome. They, they can't get beyond their bitterness. They, they can't forgive the person that sexually abused them. They, they can't get over the, the, the spirit of this age. They can't release the materialism. They can't get past the selfishness. They can't overcome the pornography. And they sit there and tell me, but I believe in God's forgiveness. And I look at them and says, great, but it's one package. It's one package. God wants to do a work in you. It's an indwelling work of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to live in bondage to that. Now I know there'll be people in this room who literally will walk out today and I know in my heart, with everything in me, they're gonna say, ah, it's just not true. I had someone come up to me the other day they wanted, they, they, well, I won't share that. But they asked the question, do you believe in the, the second blessing of the Holy Spirit? They made their voice real low, the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. I was listening to them and I, really what they meant was, is when you get saved, you don't get the Holy Spirit. You just get saved and then, then people lay hands on you and the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes as a second blessing. And I said to them, no, I don't believe that. I believe you're filled with the Holy Ghost as soon as you get saved. But, just so I really get everybody mad at me, not just one group of people. I believe that God sends fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. That we live utterly dependent on the Holy, and you could be filled five times, seven times, eight times, because you leak, you leak this stuff out. You leak the glory of God, it just comes out. So I told them that. And then I went home and I thought about the question, do you believe in the second blessing? In other words, what they're saying is, do you believe that there's, a, there's two separate type of people in the church, those who have the Holy Spirit, those who don't have the Holy Spirit? And I don't believe in that, I just said that. But I went home and I began thinking about the question. And then I began to realize, but I do believe that there's a separation in the church. I really do. I believe there are two separate distinct Christians that operate in the house of God. Those who literally stay as a slave, they won't accept their sonship and their daughtership. They don't walk. And those that have accepted that they're truly sons and daughters. So I said it like this to somebody. I think I talked to my wife. I said, it's kind of like every one of us has, has gone out of Egypt. We've been saved. God has delivered us. We've crossed the Red Sea. But not everybody entered into the promised land. There are some Christians that made the choice to stay in the wilderness. They came out, but they never went in. And I believe with all of my heart, that's a reality for all of us. It's, it's sobering that we could come out and we can know salvation. You're saved, you're forgiven, God, God, but you never went in. You never lived in this inheritance. You, you never splurged in it, you never walked in it. Now people might be asking, well, Pastor Michael, that's good. But now as I'm listening to you and I believe in Jesus and I know I'm forgiven of my sins, I don't have that inheritance. I don't walk in that. Why, why am I not walking in true freedom? Why am I not walking in that new heart? What, what is it about me? What am I missing? Why can't I go into the promised land? Well, it's all there actually in the story when they came out of Egypt. What was the issue of why they couldn't go in? What was the issue that held them back? You ready for this? They didn't believe. It was unbelief. They never believed that God was giving it to them. 
There was too many challenges, too many issues, too many times that they felt like they were gonna try and fail, so they didn't believe anymore. And because of their unbelief, they never actually got to enter in. They never got to walk in all that God had given them, that he gave as an inheritance, which we are now receiving as sons and daughters of the living God. See, Hebrews says, you have to mix the message of the gospel with faith. It's saying the message that was preached to them was of no good because they never mixed it with faith. They never believed. They never sought for. They never called out to God for it. They never yielded to the Holy Spirit and to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They just kept trying in their own strength and trying to do it and trying to march in and trying to take the land and failure after failure after failure after failure. They never believed. Do you know, I prayed about this all week thinking, how in the world can I describe this to people? How can I describe it? And then my kid showed me something that kind of sparked the thought. But did you know that they actually sell and you could buy uh, invisible ink? It's, it's cool. You could write a whole letter and the letter is there on the paper and you don't see it. And you can't see it until something of heat or some type of chemical actually brings it out. When the Bible says that God wrote his law inside of your heart, that the spirit inside of you has given you a new heart, removed your heart of stone. When the Bible says he writes his law in your minds, I try to explain it like this. He writes it with invisible ink. It's there, but you don't always see it. You keep thinking, man, I don't see this in my life. I don't see this inheritance. I don't see myself walking it, but it's there. And the heat, the chemical that brings it out, and this is important, is faith. That's what the Bible says. It's faith. When you start going to your prayer time and you're not sitting there anymore just willy-nilly in prayer, but you are crying out and believing God, saying, God, if this is my inheritance, I'm not letting you go until I see it, until I experience it in my day, until it touches my choices and how I walk and how I live. I want to see it. It's a faith that goes to the Holy Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, I'm not the one who made this inheritance. I get to come in as a son and daughter. Thank you for forgiveness. I believe for that, but I'm believing for the whole kit and caboodle now. And I am yielding to you to come into my life and make this real. I want to be a man and woman of God that's not lukewarm anymore. I want to be hungry for the word. There is no reason for you to die lukewarm. You should be growing in your hunger every day for God. You should be growing to new plateaus every single day. Now, I'm not saying there's not wilderness times. And I'm not saying that there's not seasons of confusion. And I'm not saying that there's not eclipses of faith in our walks with God. But even in that, it should be a constant growth of what the spirit of God is doing inside of you but you gotta have faith. Now, listen to what Jesus says, and with this, oh my gosh, I gotta close. John chapter eight, what does he say? He says, he who abides in my word will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Why, why? Ready? Because the word of God says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay, let's put this all together. You will never grow in faith, if you don't have a relationship with this word. You gotta read it, you gotta study it, you gotta meditate on it, it's gotta be part of your life. 
And as you read it, the Bible says you will grow in faith. And as you grow in faith and you understand your inheritance as a son and a daughter in Christ, it begins to become seen. The invisible ink begins to come out and you start living and experiencing things with God that you've never lived or experienced ever before. And then guess what? Your heart begins to truly trust God and your heart begins to love God your heart begins to obey God, and now you begin to fire on all cylinders, and you experience what it is to do what you are made to do, which is to walk in true freedom. <sighs> you have to have a relationship to this. This is not just, hey, once in a while, I'll pick it up and I'll check it out, or I'll read a verse here. Or read. No, you got to devour this word. You gotta read this word. And I tell people all the time, the way faith actually works through the word of God, and this is so important, and boy, am I gonna be in trouble with children's church. Okay, ready? This is important. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but it comes like a vitamin, not like a Red Bull. This is where people get messed up because people are gonna go home. People are gonna go home, and I guarantee you, they're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna start reading the Bible. I'm gonna walk in my inheritance of Christ. They're gonna read like three verses, they're going to spend five minutes, and then they're going to say, I didn't see nothing. <laughs> Pastor Michael's a liar. I, I guarantee you, that's what's going to happen. They think it's a Red Bull. You know what a Red Bull is? It's this drink that just like energizes you instantaneously, right? It, the, their whole slogan is, it gives you wings. You drink this thing, and it causes your heart to start beating at like 200 beats per minute. It just, boom, like it's coming out of your chest. And you're on this adrenaline, and you're just looking around. Everything in the world starts going in slow motion. You're like, it's just, it's craziness when you drink Red Bull. I know, because I used to do youth ministry. And to be those kids, you know those kids that have the ADD, the, the, the attention deficit disorders, which I love them. They're the best kids in the world. But every once in a while, we go on a mission trip and they'd run into a gas station and they'd grab a ca case of Red Bull. The kid would be like, my mom never let me have this. And it, right? And like sirens go off in your mind, in your ears. And you're just thinking as a youth leader, no, like not him, not him, right? And you're jumping across the van and you're reaching and you just, you have the kid in a headlock. Get the Red Bull out of his mouth. Get the Red Bull out of his mouth. Why? Because you know what's going to happen. It's going to be like an explosion. That kid's not going to sleep for like two weeks. <laughs> Everybody thinks that faith coming by the word of God is like a Red Bull. It's not. You don't just read this and then a lightning go boom, and you're like, whoa. Most of the time you read it, can I be honest? You say, what in the world is that talking about? Who are Amalekites? Who is the, what, what? That's what it's like but it works like a vitamin. You know what a vitamin's like? You take one every day, and here's the truth. You don't see anything. It's not like you take a vitamin like a Red Bull and think, ooh, man, I can feel the vitamin C. I can feel it. It's just working in my veins. You don't say like, oh, the vitamin B, look at my cuticles. It got shinier. Shall look at that. That doesn't happen. When you take a vitamin, it feels like nothing is happening. But you keep taking it over and over and over and over again, day in and day out, and then the attacks begin to come. The, the illnesses, the viruses come. And you know what? You're not susceptible to them anymore.
That's how the Bible works. It builds this faith in you that you don't even see sometimes. Then the enemy comes with the same temptation where the enemy comes and he tries to get you. But this time, this time, there's a faith rising up in your heart and you really believe in your sonship in Christ. You haven't just heard about it. And the ink on your heart begins to appear, that heart of flesh. And now you're being moved by the spirit and you're walking out of things that you've never walked out of. You're walking away from things you've never walked away from. You're walking in victory over things you've never walked in victory before. That's how it works. Do you understand why this word and understanding scripture is so important to us in this house? When you get the inheritance that God gave to you and how it comes out through the word, through faith, oh my gosh, all you ever want to do is devour this thing. Amen? All right, stand with me, Springs Church. Stand with me. Praise God. Okay, let me pray for you, and I'm going to have the prayer team come down. They're going to be ready after service for anybody who needs prayer. But I'm going to pray for everyone this morning. Father, we commit this time to you. And Lord, when we put that vision statement up there, that mission statement up there of understanding Scripture and how important it is to us, God, I don't want to just say those things. I want to live those things. And I wish I could come to you with a promise or a pledge right now saying, God, I'm going to be a man of the word. But I don't have any promise or pledge. What I have is inheritance that I come now to for everyone and for those with honest faith hearts right now. And I pray that you would give them that heart and that hunger for your word today. I pray, God, that they would live in it, that you would quicken them, that tomorrow as they wake up, there'd be something by the spirit of God inside of them that says, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. And they would begin to devour. And when they're discouraged because they don't understand something or they don't get it, God, you would give them a strength and an endurance that keeps them going, that keeps them reading, that keeps them studying. And in time, God, that you would build up our faith as a body. And as building up our faith, you would cause us then to walk in the inheritance that you have given to us as sons and daughters of God. God, you can't earn this inheritance. You taught me this. An inheritance doesn't come from an earning. An inheritance comes through a relationship. And you made our relationship right. And now the inheritance of not just forgiveness, but the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit to put in me a new heart, to write the laws of God inside, to take away the heart of stone, to work a fear of God in all of us that we will not depart from the Lord. That no matter what happens in our politics, what happens in our world, what happens with the divisive, we will not depart from God. God, this makes me want to shout. I just want to do cartwheels when I think about this. And I pray that you would bring us all in as a church, but it would begin through the vitamin of your word. Hallelujah. God, thank you for Springs Church. Bless them this week as they head out, God. And we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Let's thank you for his goodness. Praise God. Praise God. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.